I think I know I'm doing something right as a brand when there are people that look at you and go, that makes no sense to me. Why would you ever do that? At the same time, there's a lot of people who say that, you know, I will never stop doing this. You can try this out of my hands. This is such a great connection. If we try to be both the, the most fun product and the most serious training, it's hard. Like the brand gets messed up and you can't do both at a world-class level. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am so delighted to have Nate Pearson, the co-founder and CEO of Trainer Road, join me here today on the show. Welcome, Nate. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you. I love your podcast and your product is outstanding. Just so the audience knows, the Trainer Road Podcast is a must listen if you're um, if you own the identity of wanting to be an endurance athlete. <laughs> Um, I've never learned so much from a podcast and I can't believe literally like an hour and a half to two hour episodes sometimes and they just fly by and they go so deep on so many interesting things that honestly I didn't know I didn't know. (laughs) And you guys just handle it with such great candor and that's part of what we're going to be talking about here today. So um, can you start by telling my amazing audience what Trainer Road is and why you founded it and kind of just your founder story? Yeah, so Trainer Road exists to make cyclists faster. Um, I was a triathlete before, and with one of my co-founders, Chad Timmerman, I was doing copy trainer classes. So he had like a like a little kind of gym studio thing where he strength trained people and he did copy trainer classes, and he charged me twenty dollars a time. And I would just got out of college, and I was like, that is way too expensive. I can probably code this software and build it for myself. Um, and then I did, and I kind of found out about Antstick so I could get the data wirelessly. I'm like, ooh, I can make this a product. Um, so we did that, and then I asked Chad to join, and he, what he's, uh, he's an expert coach, and uh, he's really good at making workouts that are just hard enough. So we did that, and we built the system, and now it's grown into, uh, we have 56 employees with 75 for the openings. We're bootstrapped. We're about eight years old. And uh, now we've got a full suite of calendar training, both inside and outside power-based training, training plans that get included into subscription, uh, desktop and uh, mobile apps. And it's cycling specific. Cycling specific, but we do have triathlon plans. Although our triathlon integration, we don't pull in people's runs or swims yet. That's on the roadmap, but um, we still, like if you are a triathlete, we can give you highly structured bike training, but then also written workouts for running and swimming. Awesome. That's great. And so ultimately, this is your first job out of college and you started a company right out of college. Uh, no, it's second job. I was okay. at a Fortune 500 as a software engineer making slot machines. Uh, oh, really? That's so fascinating. 
I did uh, this to so the company to slot machines, but I did information dashboards for them. Uh-huh. It, uh, I still wasn't, it wasn't $20 of workout is a lot of money. Uh, it is. Chad was, I'm glad Chad didn't charge $2 of workout or else there would be no trainer road. Right. And I love that he joined you and he truly is an expert coach. You can tell that he definitely knows what he's talking about, but he also makes it very attainable. And what I love so much about what I wanted to have you on the show about is obviously I'm a very big fan of your work and what you produce. Um, I I think I was one of the first people to subscribe to your service way back in the day, which I'm proud to say, but also the way that you've humanized Trainer Road and the personalities you've introduced through the podcast have really made it, I think, an even more special experience as a brand to me. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here. Can you talk a little bit about like how the brand progressed and how you were able to take your eye off the ball of like creating software and, and doing that development and understand like just how important that community building was? Yeah. So the, the, it's kind of, it's a good story about how the podcast started. We have, we get a lot of support questions about you know, how, uh, how do I tr- uh, change my training for this event and something like that? Or people just, this is, we were kind of the first doing this, doing structured indoor training like this. And people were asking about uh, even what FTP and uh, normalized power and all those kind of ac- acronyms are. And what we did is we set, we used to do a webinar. So we'd have like a webinar with GoToMeeting. We had like 30 people join and we talk them through what normalized power, intensity factor, TSS, all that stuff is. And then we had an open session at the back that was just about asking questions. And that was the really popular part of it was the people just asking questions. So we decided, well, let's just try doing just questions. And that's kind of how it built. And uh, us as a brand, what we've done, I'm a, I'm a big proponent in our marketing to be uh, teach, don't sell. So I, I think we're just bad at it, but all like the impressions and ads and stuff that we do, they never get the return on investment that we want. So all the money that we spend on marketing is just about teaching people how to be a faster cyclist. And we want to be a thought leader in there. And that also kind of helps our flywheel of being a better product because like Chad, he's almost hundred percent on learning and research and stuff. And um, we also get tons of feedback from our users through YouTube forum and podcast about what can be a better product. And it, it becomes this flywheel. And now, now we have such a great relationship with our community. If we have a product question or anything like that, or testing, or um, uh, if we just want to pitch an idea, we, within like 20 minutes, we can get a large amount of responses that are really high quality of people who are also passionate about the brand. So that's a really important point that I think would be very valuable for my audience. It sounds like that's your form of surveying, right? And it's not like it's a group of VIP founding members. It's basically you put it out to the community through what? Through Twitter or how do you do that? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes we say some stuff on the podcast, but then we also have two other things. We have like an insiders list where um, we've, if you want to be part of this like internal testing, that's what we've, we've done and that's we can see like usage in the app and stuff. And it's like a a wide breadth of users. And then also in the forum, we can drop messages in there quickly, uh, forum.trainer.com. And uh, people can, those are kind of our more super fans or just people who like forums because there's a lot of great conversations about learning how to be a faster cyclist in there. That's another way to kind of get responses from them quickly. But so, So for the insiders list, we'll build prototypes We'll send it out to them and then people will play with the prototypes and they'll respond. They'll answer some questions about us. 
So it's almost like a beta testing group that you have. Yeah, kind of like even pre that. So before we have to do any code, we're just about to do it for showing like um, a better way to view outside workouts in a workout list. So uh, we're, we're probably going to try another tool called user testing that does a little bit of screen recording stuff. And we could use the same list of people, but have a few more tools to kind of really figure out before we go all in, if we're building the right thing before we build it. That's awesome. So let's step back a little bit and talk about, you know, obviously you said you're eight years in. And can you explain how the competitive landscape changed? Because I get a sense that when you first hit the scene, and I remember it was a great resource for me because frankly, I was a little intimidated to go the more traditional route and hire a coach. At the time, I think I had like a 12 and a nine-year-old or something like that. And I I have this full-time job in this company and literally just kind of just felt like a soccer mom, even though I've always been a cyclist. And so it enabled me to kind of have permission to almost secretly train for certain races around here. And boy, did it work. It was awesome. I would just show up. I had people saying like, how can you never come out on these rides? Because I always had to train super early in the morning to get it in, which I know a lot of your people do. But anyway, point being is, I think you were one of the first, weren't you, to create this ability for people to have a subscription and have a goal and be able to follow along online. Yeah, for the indoor part of it, yes. There was Training Peaks before. That was a coaching. And then there was the CompuTrainer with Racer Mate with Studios. But other than that, I believe, I think DC Rainmaker, he says we were the first to do it. And we even beat another company by like three months or something. Um, uh-huh. We petered out after that. But so I think we were the first. And I know that this is a, could be a potentially sensitive question, but because I know now they're owned by a competitor, but you were partnering with the Sufferfest early on. And it's not so much about the Sufferfest, but I'm more curious to share with my audience, how has it worked for your brand to grow to partner with other brands like that or other offerings that at the time were not competitive, but were complementary? Yeah. So partnerships, they'll come and go as in as brands and companies grow. Sometimes you're not competitors in one thing, but in the future you will be competitors. Um, so one of the biggest that that's helped us is we partner with Strava. So mm-hmm. be able to get branding. So when you do a trainer workout and it goes online, it shows a branded trainer road workout and an image. And that has helped get the word out, like that your friends are using that. Um, we've also worked with Garmin to get outside workouts on their head units to do like they launched a new API and stuff like that. And other than that is, those are the, the major partnerships that have helped. Uh, other than that is more like flyers and boxes and stuff where a trainer, they don't have software. So if they get a free month of trainer road, it's beneficial to everybody. Like they want their people to use the trainer more and we want to sell software. So that's, that's yeah, that's what we do. That's awesome. So I also um, know that as things have continued to change, you're dealing with a changing product and constantly evolving your product in in an innovative way, but you're also dealing with having to change with the way consumers are discovering and engaging with and ultimately converting to brands. So I almost feel like you're balancing a couple of different things as you grow this company. And you say you're growing rapidly. 56 employees is, is a lot of employees, I think anyway. I mean, I'm a, I have a small business with 21 and I feel like that's like a legion of people. <laughs> but point being is you're growing really fast through a very fast changing landscape, both with your product and your audience. So how do you step back and make sure that you are approaching that correctly? Because ultimately we're dealing with a consumer that if you screw up, sometimes they can be less than loyal, right? This yeah. day and age. So I do screw up 
And I think, so first let's talk about screw ups. So I do screw up, but I try to fix it when I screw up and I try to be honest with people. And I feel like people are, they're understanding. So if you do something wrong, but then you can fix it. So like there was never something bad. They know you still did something bad, but they appreciate you taking ownership and fixing it. I think that's everything in life, right? But people like the person that takes ownership and then fixes it um, rather than blaming other people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Then for us, so I have a roadmap um, that we have internally that we've been building for to, for like the last, I don't know, four years. And once we get to the end, hopefully this is like a great movie that everything before will make sense. Oh, okay. um, So I can't share everything on it, but I am definitely following people have kind of alluded to what we might do, but trying to do things that no one else has done. And I like the idea of, I'm in this, this entrepreneur group called uh, Entrepreneurs Organization. And I went to this class called EMP, uh, Entrepreneurs Master's Program. It used to be called Birthing of Giants. And the idea of 10 maxing, like what can you do 10 times better than your competitors? And I think we can train people 10 times better than our competitors. Right now, we're not, we're better, but we're not 10 times better in my opinion. So if I can get to that point, that's where I want to end up and make just be the best in the world at making people faster. Right. And what we're executing there. And there's inside of, so inside of our world, we talk about competitors. One, there's Peloton, who's not a, like a direct competitor, but still they've raised a billion dollars. They're about to IPO. It's a very big company. Mm-hmm. There's Wift, who uh, they've raised, I think, what is $160 million? but they're more entertainment and game focused. Their focus is fun and building connections, mm-hmm. making cyclists faster. And there's definitely our users look at Zwift and say, no, I would never do that. And Zwift users look at us and say, I would never do that. And to me, I think I know I'm doing something right as a brand when there are people that look at you and go, that makes no sense to me. Why would you ever do that? At the same time, there's a lot of people who say, that, you know, I will never stop doing this. You try this out of my hands. This is such a great connection. If we try to be both fun, the, the most fun product and the most serious training, it's hard. Like the brand gets messed up and you can't do both at a world-class level. I totally agree. You're going to water yourself down to both markets. So you just basically, to my people, that is understanding your absolute ideal target consumer right there. And I feel like one of the things that you've done so successfully is as you have evolved and launched the podcast, you've really enabled us to see our personalities. I love how you guys on the podcast kind of give each other grief. You definitely cheer each other on, but like you all have these distinct personalities. I don't even know if you know that because you're probably so close to it, but there are things that we expect when one of you say something like we'll literally expect the other one to say, <laughs> you know, what's the response? So it's, it's given us such an interesting purview into your journey as you're developing this product. And one of the things I wanted to also ask that I know would be important for my audience to hear you, you speak about is you do position athletes. And the way that you have positioned them, I think, has been very helpful in terms of giving us a little bit of a behind-the-Komodo view of how they train and, and what their race reports are. I love that. But also, I feel like they're more accessible when they're on your show. They, they sound like everybody else who has to cram everything in and make it all work, even though they're pros. So is that part of like what you're hoping to deliver to your, um, your audience is that serious training, but also... The, almost like a blue collar approach. Like it's not like we just get to show up and only train all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we're just talking about are the pros that come on yep. and they talk about their experiences. 
Yeah, there's just so much. Every time we get a pro on, there's usually like a, a few takeaways that you learn about, but there's also, if you listen to a few pros in a row, they do a lot of things the same, right? Mm. So they all talk about, I don't know how many vegetables they eat and stuff. Like there's, there's certain things that are very common and you learn for, you learn from that too. So we weren't, we don't try to say like, this is like relate to the average person, but it turns out they usually do. They just have better parents, mm-hmm. but it's really just going back to that core of how are we teaching? And there are very, there are certain pros that we do not have on the podcast who are actually faster than our guests but they don't have an analytical mind or they don't have a way, at least us talking with them beforehand to communicate why they are fast or what they do. Cause if we got someone on the podcast who just goes, Oh yeah, I just ride my bike a lot. Like I go hard. I just do what my coach says, uh, what do you eat? Oh, whatever food is, you know, my coach gives me or something like that. Right. Like the people who are, who, you know, I do this tire on here at this pressure because this burn is like this and I can go faster. Um, right. Those details. The level of geeking out is fantastic. And I do actually, one of the things to give the audience an example, I don't remember which pro it was, but you had one on recently who spoke about how they don't eat a lot of like vegetables a couple days before an event. And I was like, oh my gosh, that I've never really thought of that. And so, you know, there are seriously some takeaways that even if you're listening to it while you're on the train or driving or whatever, they really stick in your mind. Um, and it's just, it's the detail work that you just, that sometimes takes years to figure out if you don't hear it from somebody else. Yep. Just tips like that. And that, that athlete was doing that because uh, she wanted a low fiber going in so she wouldn't have bathroom issues on the bike. Right. And of course I bring that up on my podcast. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's an important example. <laughs> so I'm, I just, I wanted to quickly ask, obviously you guys have built what I would consider to be a very strong consumer centric approach for your target consumer. Can you name a couple, you know, maybe one or two attributes of your consumer in the last year that you've seen evolve, whether it's through the data you're capturing or just through feedback that you're getting on your forums? Yeah, so we've been um, trying to build our YouTube channel recently. And what we've done is, I call it like the Disneyland model. Probably. I know my competitors are going to listen to this. Probably should. <laughs> it's okay. It's all about execution, not about, I mean, you need the knowledge, but you need to execute. Right. You go see a movie, a Disney movie. And that's what I tell my employees too. Let's say you see Finding Nemo. And you go to Disneyland because you go to Disneyland because you like the movies. You get on the Nemo ride. And then as you exit, you walk through a like a gift shop selling the toys for that. And then when you're walking out of the park, they're selling you a cruise of that same, that you're going to experience those characters. Right. And then there's finding Nemo too. So kind of out of one piece of content, a whole bunch of experiences are being made. So we are doing the same thing with the podcast where we cut up parts of the podcast and put it on to YouTube so that Joe Rogan does the same thing. We're pretty much mm-hmm. Rogan, um, Cause it's a long podcast at two hours. Uh, but also the other thing that we are doing now, um, we are also copying someone else doing this is NorCal cycling videos. He does GoPros on his bike, does race footage, and then he points out stuff for himself. So our different take on that is we have a high level racer here called Pete Morris from team cliff bar. And, uh, I will be in a bike race and this is a bike race anyway. So I just put GoPros on and then afterwards he will critique me and t- say what I did right and what I did wrong. And that's hit really well. And I think like, I, I think part of that is my willingness to be vulnerable because I am not the best racer. I am not uh, genetically gifted. 
and I make a lot of mistakes. And I think people learn a lot from the mistakes. I think there's too much of like, you see that CEO that like looks to be perfect. And yeah. Like, and they want all their, their customers to think that they're perfect, but people don't connect with perfect people. They, like kind of you said with the pros, like if you're a normal person, I don't know, it just, it works a lot better, I think. Absolutely. And that is such an important point for my audience. Sometimes entrepreneurs or people, you know, who are leading these specialty brands might also talk themselves out of being a human to their audience. Why would anybody want to see my flaws? Why would anyone care what I think? And ultimately they really do, especially in this era, they're people, I think, um, you don't even have to be millennial or Gen Z. People are just now very conditioned to look at either what a company stands for or who is running that company. And I actually think it's it's great because you have this professional coach. And obviously, I'll, I think all three of you must be coaches, right? But like you have an interesting group of people where I feel like Jonathan is always presented as the quote, perfect cyclist. Yet we watched him go through an injury last year right? And he, and we're listening to him get sick from his kids before he goes to nationals. And like, it's, it's like this ongoing story. And then he uses the product to get ready where he needs to be, or he says, you know, I'm going to do the best I can. This is where I am. And I do actually like the character that you are, even though I know it's really you, it's not a character, (laughs) but ultimately you do make it feel for working stiffs, right? We know that you're behind the company, you're growing the company, yet you're out there still like racing and doing your best. And it is actually a really inspiring facet of, of the, um, you guys are, are literally like watching a TV show. You really have defined your characters really well. How long have you been doing the podcast? Ooh, we're almost on episode 200. Wow. One a week. So four years about almost. This is really how we are, except Chad swears way more. See us like at a place and we'll give Chad some drinks and he loosens it up, loosens up a ton. The other thing I want to say though, for your audience, like when you do show yourself, there are people that are going to hate you. I'm, yeah. polari- I'm polarizing and there's definitely people, especially on YouTube, who just anything I say, they are, they attack and it's fine. It's kind of like the product. You can't be for everyone. If you try to be for everyone, you're for nobody. So right. better just to be yourself. And if you're not yourself, it's tiring. There's like mental dissonance in your head. It feels heavy. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, you're going to meet these people in real life and you got to do it again. You got to act all the time. And it makes me feel good when uh, I think a user went out to like pizza with us once and it was just me, Chad and Jonathan. And he was sitting there and he's like, man, you guys are just like you were on the podcast. We were like (laughs) making fun of each other and having fun. That's awesome. So I have another question here kind of about uh, growth and, and I guess collaboration with other brands, not so much athletes in this question, but do you guys, you know, I know you've done some things with Specialized, for example, and gone to the wind tunnel and, and they aren't necessarily like a sponsor, right? Can you explain kind of how you hand select these brands to have these appearances and, and kind of, I think, supplement what Trainer Road is doing? Yeah. So our podcast has uh, gotten to the point that it's big enough that brands want to be involved with us, which is nice. And what our kind of rules are, we don't take any money from anything. Like we'll say whatever we want to, but we also get to pick like, so we, like, for instance, we work with Envy and we really like Envy wheels. So we, we talked to Envy, we know people at Envy and they helped us out when we did our time trial with giving us some great wheels. And as long as we, we feel as long as we tell the consumer, like, Hey, Envy provided these wheels for us, but we could choose from all these wheels. We could buy our own wheels. We wanted these wheels. Same with specialized, uh, it's a good way 
for the brand to get their message out. But at the same time, as long as we can learn from them, it's great. So with the wind tunnel, uh, with Chris Yu, who's like a genius and super Dave, they told us, I don't know, it was, it was almost like rapid fire about how, how you could be a faster cyclist. And so our users, our people get something out of it and specialized is trying to be a thought leader in aerodynamics so that you, right. yes, these people think about aerodynamics before they build a bike. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's a win-win brand strategy there. And do you see them actually repurposing your content in a way that grows their own audience after something like this? Or is it something they just rely on discovery through your audience and kind of authentication? I think it's discovery through our audience. Okay. Yeah, because I haven't seen them like put that back out there. I do realize this type of content, in my opinion, is very appropriate for their consumer, yet I haven't really seen them repurpose anything. And I was wondering if I might have missed something. No, not, I'm, not that I'm aware of. Okay, great. This is this is super fascinating. So can we drop into a little bit of a, a nerdy topic here with data? Okay. All right. So I understand this must have played out since day one. I think it was about a year ago, I interviewed one of the authors of that book, Hacking Growth. Have you ever seen that book? Mm-hmm. You've read it. Okay. So the reason that I was so, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show is there's a lot of people who produce physical products that listen to this podcast. You obviously are a SaaS product. Is that, is that the correct way to? Yep. Okay. So essentially a lot of what's in the Hacking Growth book, I think, applies to you. And so what I'm hoping we can do is, is accomplish something that the co-author of that book couldn't accomplish with me. It was a little bit of a clunky show and I'll put the link to that show in the show notes. It has a lot of interesting information. However, I wanted to ask you like, how do you deploy tactics to do audience growth or identify, oh, wow, this feature really picked up or wow, that's actually not going at all how I expected. So let's talk through that and then let's see if we can make it relevant to brands that may not be software oriented. Yeah. So for as a SaaS business, software as a service subscription, the, I like building the reverse, like from the end of the funnel forward. So the first thing you want to do is work on churn rate. So that's like what percentage of our users, your users leave every month. Even before that is what are users' actions in the first 30 days? So what we look at is what is the difference between someone who stays with the product in the first 30 days and what is someone who leaves the product for the first 30 days? So for instance, um, what workout they do first can change that by 50%. Interesting. We did not know that before. And it's hard to tell. So we, we used a product called Looker, which is um, Google just bought them. It's kind of an easy way to uh, pull. It's kind of like a drag and drop way to pull data out of your database. Interesting. So what we did is we hooked up churn. I'm, saying, I'm telling you too many secrets. Uh, <laughs> we hooked up churn rate in there so that we can slice churn rate any which way. So if you want to look at women who are between 20 and 24 and sign up in the August, we can tell you what their churn rate is compared to other stuff. So you start doing like cohorts about if you slice these things different ways, what makes someone churn and what doesn't like, what's the path. And, and it's both, it's two ways. What do the people do that, that, that churn and what are the, or what do the people do that don't churn and what don't the people do that do churn? That's, that sounds confusing, but um, you can't just look at the negative. You've got to look at the positive too. So if everyone who doesn't churn picks a training plan, maybe you should push forward picking a training plan better. So we would do that in the hacking growth. They talk about, you just use GitHub and use a Kaban board and people would have experiments 
and put them up. And then we would serve these always to usually half our users. And we just like all odd members or something like that would see it uh, with a member ID. And then based on how they respond, we look at that data and we have dashboards that get pushed into Slack each day. Because that's a, that's a big thing is um, if you don't, if people can't see the dashboards, they usually don't like come back to it. But also since we're having this meeting every week, we can look back and see what is the change in here. When we make a positive change, we then give it to everybody, still look at the data and move forward. So we just have lots of little experiments like that, but we can push the conversion rate on the website up 50% by doing small changes like that, or lower the churn rate by 30% by doing small changes and just making your product easier. That book's pretty cool, I think. And so I'm going to go ahead and take the first swing here. I think that a couple of the things that you just pointed out that people can apply, whether they're in brick and mortar retail or creating a climbing shoe or whatever it is, right? We, we serve, out, especially outdoor active lifestyle, cycling and endurance being part of that. And I think that what you mentioned about meeting every week is huge. And ultimately looking at that positive and negative effect around churn is huge. There's a version of that for every business, I think, especially if we have people on the front lines who are part of this, quote, growth hacking meeting. And P.S., everybody in the book, half the book is about the story of how they came up with the formulation and half the book is how to have your own team and who to put in charge of it. And literally as granular as how you run the meetings. And I just feel like a lot of people who might be coming from a wholesale mindset, a lot of our people are. Um, they just don't feel like this is actually applicable to them. So that weekly meeting is big. But then the other thing that I think you may not even see is the fact that you have a leader from probably every facet of your company together. So nobody's siloed. And everybody's looking at this together and everybody's understanding consumer-centric. Okay, the person likes this and the person does not like this. Talk amongst yourselves right here and now, and let's talk about how we're going to augment, right? And so I feel like those are two things that no matter what type of business you have, getting rid of the silos and having that consistent meeting every week, the discipline, right? I really feel like those are two things that should be applicable with growth hacking. Yeah, there's so many, whenever we did it, we always needed a designer, a product person, marketing and development. Because uh, there'd always be like a small task for everyone. Because if we want to change the copy or the look of something on the homepage, you need you need all those people. Right. Um, so it's really important to have that cross-functional team. But also the thing at first, we didn't get to execute anything for a while because we would we would we have to start tracking things that we weren't tracking before. So we'd have to to put in some code or, or change something. And um, questions just led to more questions. So right. Like we didn't. It took a good like maybe two months before we actually got to some answers of every week, like, okay, we got this answer, but oh, what if they did this or this? We, we weren't sure. It was one was uh, downloading the app. So our new users was downloading the app and well, they're not doing a ride, but they did download the app. We think, but we didn't track the downloads the app. We didn't track login. Um, so we just had to keep adding in instrumentation about where in the process someone is doing something to be able to figure out exactly where they're dropping off and then to be able to fix that. Because you can't, if you don't know that, you can't fix it. Right. And I do, you know, just want to point out the consumer decision journey is kind of the version of, of this for some brands that are not SaaS oriented. And that has, that can be an intimidating thing as well. So um, that's another place to look internally, no matter what it is that you serve your customer with, is just understanding how they discover you and how what you offer is completely unique to them. 
uh, only your brand can do. And kind of as they go through the cycle of discovery, engagement, how they're using it and how they're sharing it, um, that actually can be, I think, mined no matter what your company is. And, and um, I will put a lot of links in the show notes to provide some resources around this, but that Hacking Growth uh, book has a whole community, a blog, like there's all kinds of interesting stuff there. I just have had a tough time translating that. I'm super excited about it and I love the concept of it, but boy, do I have a hard time translating that to even our clients at Verde. I mean, the sales and marketing are, are still really different in terms of like their mindset. So hopefully this, this uh, podcast will enable a little bit more movement and it's happening at a great time of year in terms of the, you know, budgets are about to hit, right? So let's talk about that. I mean, you guys, obviously, how does a company like yours plan for a whole calendar year? I mean, you must be breaking this down like month by month. Whereas, you know, again, in, in a different type of business, I think they're looking at sales forecasts on physical product and they're building a a budget and marketing and everything around that. That's how they reverse engineer it. It's much slower, right? So can you describe your budget process? It doesn't have to be anything with secrets in it, but just to give my um, audience and the people who aren't doing what you do, a little bit of a purview into how a company like yours does that process. I think it could be really helpful for them. For us, it is, again, I'm telling you too many secrets, but we are, uh, we're seasonal. So more people use us in the winter than the summer. And okay. people use us in the in the winter and we're, we're adding more summer products like our outside workouts, but that adds a whole nother wrench into it because instead of having very consistent cash flow can fluctuate as a lot of businesses, it does. And I've gone to a lot of seminars about, I did a finance class at Wharton and tried to figure things out. And one, one guy told me the metric, and this is what we use as a SaaS business. It's the amount of, I call it like expense days, the amount of cash that you have that would cover that many days in expenses. So if you stop getting all cash today, how many days could your business survive in cash? So what I do is I have a spreadsheet and I look at past performance. I do a future growth rate. And um, I kind of, I have a few different kinds. I, and I don't need to get into how I predict that, but I do that. And then I, I look at how the cash is going to come in. And then every month based on what is the actual dollars in the bank account that updates the spreadsheet. And then it projects out a year for how many days expense days that I have. So I think I heard before Google and our Google's way higher now. I just saw they had the most money of any company, but theirs was like 120 days. So it's not like something crazy, but at that time, this is years ago, Google stopped getting all cash that day. They could survive for 120 days. Now that's probably not going to happen with Google. No, especially with the SaaS business, we have credit cards where it's nothing's going to just stop. But that makes it so I don't have to do like little teeny budgets and I don't look at, um, I don't sweat the small stuff. I just, mm-hmm. I predict raises ahead of time. And then I just, I put in my spreadsheet. Oh, if I put in this engineer and I hire him in this month, it'll update my expense day. So as long as I keep above that expense days, I'm okay. And um, I like to be more conservative. So I think in Built the Last talks about the best companies, like they have a lot of cash on hand and that lets you weather storms. So by doing that, it, it reduces stress. And uh, I, again, I don't have to be like to the dollar predictive um, because this thing updates every month and I can't get in so much trouble in a single month. Right. I like that. So you're, and am I correct in, in hearing that you basically probably have a budget, but that you're actually kind of going month to month? And I mean, an annual budget, like where you're doing maybe budget to actual. 
I know we're getting in the weeds here, but this is important for my people just because we love to learn from SaaS, right? We see you as nimble. We see you as fast moving, hard charging, able to take risks and recover. And that's why I'm asking. So I do know like annual budget. I do know annual planning for, for money. It's more like, okay, we need some engineers. Where can we hire them to make sure that our we don't go too far down in dollars? And if we do go down farther, either attrition or growth takes that away. Right. So every month I do look to see what the difference is versus what I predicted we would have. Right. And if there's a big difference in there, that means that uh, unless there was a big one-time expense, I just tweak what my average monthly expenses is a little bit. So that right. more on, it's like a organic algorithm where it should, it's not, but it, it's like that where it should be self-updating so that because we have most of our spend is, employees that that gets their salary it's the same every month right three paycheck periods it's it's pretty easy to predict interesting well again i appreciate you going into that again i'm trying to to really hold up your type of a company as an example to learn from for a lot of the people in the audience i have big there's like so many spreadsheets about you know inventory and and uh profit but not cash i'm a big believer that it's it's all about cash if you solve for cash like everything else works itself out. So if you solve of like, what's the best way to get the most cash in two years, the days in inventory and, and all of that, like it works out itself. I think too many people make it too complicated and people like to sell stuff that's super complicated and then you can use their system. Uh, just, just <laughs> on having the most cash in your bank account. Yeah, and then, then everything else will be good. That's awesome. And by the way, what you just said um, about people selling solutions, right? That is one of the things that's really hamstrung so many listeners of the Channel Mastery podcast who are, they have the best of intentions and they can really, you know, buy into these bright, shiny objects that are going to fix things, but then they have this fragmented business inside because it may not have been what the business needed. And it definitely didn't connect the dots on an integrated standpoint. So it sounds, and again, it's very hard to do apples to apples when we're talking about two very different business models, but I always, always think there's cross training. There's an allow, there's a way you can learn from that. So I appreciate you going into that. And I know we need to look to wrap up here. You've been super generous. Can you talk a little bit about how trainer road is going to be evolving first from the product standpoint and then from a channel standpoint? Yeah. So for the product standpoint, I want to talk about new stuff, but we're going to try doing things that people haven't done before. So okay. there's there's kind of two things you can do. One is you can um, make your existing stuff, like polish it and make it better. And that's like the growth hacking stuff, which you're still going to do. But now we've got to a size where we can have extra teams to work on some of these more like home runs that we want to execute. So have we, we haven't been here before, but to have the, the, the ability to have multiple teams working on multiple things and still execute them quickly. So yeah, that's where we're going on that. And then for the channels, uh, it's really, we have to show up and execute. I'm looking at Tucker right now, who is a junior marketer we hired and he's all he's doing is videos. So just uh, executing the videos and, and showing up. That's so much of like building the, your, um, your channels is just consistently showing up and no one hits it big right away. And you look at these other big, huge channels and you're like, wow, they have, you know, a million views on their videos and we have 20,000 views or 2,000 views or 200 views and you think you can never get there. But if you just, like, you got to be consistent. Right. So really for us, it's consistently teach and consistently show up to our channels that were there. 
Yep, and I can attest you have done a brilliant job with that. And so it sounds like you started with obviously your product. Um, it was an online product and then you developed webinars, then you went into podcasting and then you went into YouTube and social probably has been there the whole time. Social media, I would, I would imagine, but it, it, yeah. it doesn't seem like that it's something you've talked about as much. Yeah, we don't really, I mean, we'll drop some stuff in there, but really the, our forum is pretty good. Um, I think it's like 1.2 million page views a month or something. So, uh, that's kind of, it's not social, but that's really been on our, our new leg for growth, but for social media, I mean, we can put posts on Facebook. It was, so it used to be really great. And then maybe like five years ago, Facebook made a change and it was really about now you have to boost your page all the time. Yes. Want to see it. So, I mean, with, we, we could have quadruple the followers, but we'd only have 25% of the response of the reach. And I personally don't like spending the money on, I don't like giving money to Google and Facebook to get my message out. I would rather build these channels where it's that flywheel again. And as it gets going more and more, it's like an investment in the long term. Absolutely. That's much more valuable than spending all this cash on ads all the time. And maybe that would be different if we had like, I tell our employees, if we, if we were selling a shoe and everyone really gets what a shoe is, we could probably optimize that ad and figure out the customer acquisition cost, what the difference is and do that all day long and print money. But we have a, it's a little bit of a different market. A lot of people don't even know still what we do is possible. And at least I haven't figured out a way to be efficient with the, you know, here, here's a shoe. This is why the shoe's better. Live this brand of the shoe, come buy the shoe. For us, it's teaching and then friends telling friends. That's such a better sell. Right. That word of mouth. It's proof of concept for sure that you trust. Can I tell you something? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was at a triathlon a long time ago and I was there and uh, somebody who was uh, an older gentleman who was doing the triathlon, I was telling him what I did about trainer road and I was describing it to him and stuff. And he was just kind of giving me the smile and the nod. And that was, that was great. He didn't really care. His friend came in same age and he goes, Oh, you're the trainer road guy. I love trainer road. It's helped me so much. The other guy piped up, like he had listened to a 20 minute pitch for me. Didn't care. His friend said three words that it's awesome. He suddenly wants to try it. He's like, well, what's the website? And then wants to go. <laughs> and that's why I feel like ads are versus friends. Uh, ads are even worse than someone not a founder, not being there, but it's really about building the, the community and the advocates. Right. That is a great analogy. And I also want everybody to notice like right out of the gate in this podcast, Nate said exactly what he does or what trainer road does like in one sentence. And that's actually, it sounds so like basic blocking and tackling, but you have to be able to take advantage of how targeted you can be with the internet today. And I think that that's a great thing that you led with. So thank you for doing that. Is there anything that I've forgotten that you think that my audience of specialty business and brand leaders who are really, really committed to, you know, winning the attention and emotional connection with their target consumers, like anything that you can think of from your experience in the last eight years that, that I haven't asked you yet? There's one thing that we just started doing and I'm, I'm more proud of this than, so I want to share it with them. Yeah. But um, NPS, the net promoter score, we've tracked it before. We're tracking it recently. We're 84. So that's a good NPS number. And you can look up other benchmarks, but I believe that's because we are, we're not a lot of things. And that's why we have such a high NPS. It's not, when we talked about this earlier, but not everything to everyone. And it's so tough, especially when you're small, 
Like you see markets and people want this thing and you can build it or you can deliver it. But we had to say no to a lot of stuff, no to some of the gimmicky things um, that at least I think are in training and just say yes to what our core is and making cyclists faster. And I think that is why we have that high NPS and that's what allowed us to grow from word of mouth because our users are our advocates. That makes total sense. And I'm glad that you shared that. And I I love that you're able to discover these things and just fold them right into the mix. I mean, my last question to you, I guess, is, I mean, you're obviously leading a company that's just juggling constant change. How are you able to kind of put what success looks like out there for your team and drive them toward it when it's always changing? Yeah. So we'll do themes like, uh, what's it called? The Advantage. I like that book a lot. And they talk about doing themes as a company. So, uh, We'll have metrics around those themes and we'll have them put into Slack every day, whatever the, the hard metric is. And then um, we keep repeating them. We do a, a weekly strategic meeting. So Monday morning for two hours, all the leaders get together. Anyone in the company can join, record it on Zoom. And we talk about, we try to get all the meetings done in one meeting. Um, that doesn't go into details, but really setting the, the goals and the cadence for the week um, and just keep whatever the goal is and where the theme is, just keep hammering that home. I think his name is Patrick Blincioni. I forget for the advantage, but he says you have to say things as a a boss, kind of like with kids, uh, seven to 77 times. Yep. Whenever my leaders are like, I already said that and they didn't do it. I'm like, did you say it 77 times? And they're like, nah, I didn't. So it's kind of a joke inside where um, people don't hear things until you've said them lots of times. That makes a ton of sense. And I will put links to all of those books and all of the things that we talked about in here. And I also just, the last thing I want to point out is, you're obviously a leader of a specialty company that is constantly educating yourself. You're part of a mastermind, it sounds like. How does that attribute to your company's growth and success? Oh, it's been huge. Like, So I get all this learning, most of all of it, both either from business books or from EO and uh, Entrepreneurs Organization. It's just like gigantic. And the, the new thing that we're doing is they record these sessions. So on Friday mornings, I take the sessions, some of the good ones, and we all sit down and we watch them and there's remote workers and all we can share them over zoom and then we'll pause and discuss topics and we'll awesome pull things out of there i think it's not only does it it helps us all get on the same page because sometimes as the leader you learn these things you come back you say we're going to change everything we're going to do everything and everyone kind of like it they they weren't in the cell on um, the three-hour pitch that you were so it's and you, you're not as good as the other person so it can kind of be an eye roll but if they sit in it too with you, uh, for instance, we did one, uh, Jeff Smart from the guy who wrote Who. So anyone who hires, we all sat down and watched a three-hour presentation of him talking about Who, and he did a mock interview and, and everything. And everyone's on board. Everyone's like, man, we have to use this process. We have to do it. And me telling someone how to do that doesn't work. So it also, though, helps your employees. I think it helps with churn with them leaving the company because when your employees are growing, they're more likely to stay with you longer, I think, or at least the kind of people that we like. Um, and if you can keep offering the ways for them to grow, um, it, I mean, you just have happier employees and happier employees build better things. That's absolutely right. And they're more stoked to talk about it as your front lines. So, well, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Again, I love what you guys are doing over there. And this has just been a, a little bit of a dream. I'm a fangirl like to have you on the podcast. I've I literally, there have been so many times I've been listening and thinking, God, he'd be great because I am so emotionally connected through what you guys are providing in your teaching and resource and your product. So 
Good job. And I'm so grateful you were able to share all of this with my amazing audience at Channel Mastery. Thank you so much. All right. And hopefully we'll have you back on again soon with some of these announcements that you have under wraps now. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings like our brand new digital resource and membership that's opening up in Q3 2019. Thanks for listening and see you next week.